this program to bring you a special report playoff football is just the best every fan is invested cheering for the underdogs or cheering against the team they hate division rival whatever it may be especially if your favorite team doesn't make the playoffs because then it's stress-free all you're worried about is the offseason which hasn't technically started yet so to me wildcard weekend obviously produced Football games, it was fun. There was blowouts, blah, blah, blah. But I actually wasn't surprised by any of the results. Starting with the first game, you got the Las Vegas Raiders traveling to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. And someone's streak had to come to an end. Both franchises had terrible streaks. And this time, it was the Bengals ending their 31-year drought, beating the Raiders 26-19 Last winning a playoff game in 1991. Good for those fucking fans. Now, when I was in Cleveland, which has been twice, I've asked, who has the best fans in the state of Ohio? Is it Ohio State? Is it Cleveland Browns? And they all tell me that there is none as bad as the Bengals and that they'll only come out if they're good and that they're by far the most fair weather fans you'll ever meet and they barely even cheer and la-da-da-da-da. That's he said, she said, I will be experiencing that for myself someday in the Joe, Bur- Joe Burrows era. So when I heard that, when I, when I, when I heard that they, their fan base was terrible, it just made me think too, like, um, they've never really won. Like, why do they, they don't really have a reason to be a good fan base. So I'll just throw that out there. And also on Saturday, they were rocking. I mean, it seemed like a pretty loud stadium. Everyone seemed to be amped up and screaming their brains out and shit like that. So, I mean, it had been so long since they'd last won a playoff game that text, like texting didn't even exist. So for the first time ever, and I'm sure everyone saw this all over social media, someone sent a text saying the Cincinnati Bengals won a playoff game. They were led by Joe Burrows in his first playoff game ever. He threw for 244 yards on 24 for 34 passing, had two touchdowns, zero turnovers. The run game was non-existent, but their star quarterback carried them into the second round. That's really what happened. Joe Mixon was held, absolutely held in check. There was nothing going there. And then you got guys like Jamar Chase, another guy making his playoff debut, nine catches for 116 yards, just an electric rookie. It's really kind of weird to think like if Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson had played in the same team and didn't win a national championship, what a disappointment that would have been. Cause those two are both top five receivers in the game already. And their JJ just finished his second season, almost breaking Randy Moss's record and Jamar Chase just finished his first season. And we all know what he can do. The dude's been sensational. It goes over a hundred yards in his playoff debut. Now, The officiating in this game, let me just start by saying it was awful the whole time. It wasn't just one or two plays, but the crew, I mean, actually, quick side note, it was so bad that the crew was punished afterwards and told they are done refing for the season. They will not be back in the playoffs. So, and I'll admit, it was a little fucky. Like, we all bitch about refs and missed calls, but on Burrow's rollout, the touchdown that he threw across his body very late to Tyler Boyd, where he was very close to the sideline 
a ref actually blew his whistle as Burroughs released the ball, blowing the play dead. Raiders players had kind of quit at that point because everyone thought, you know, they heard their whistle, um, and they thought that Burroughs was out of bounds. It was a fucked situation, and the officiating, which has been horrible all season, makes a major mistake in a playoff game. What if the Raiders hold their home to a field goal? Now, I know they lost by seven, but it just kind of changes the feel of the game and the approach. So technically, that shouldn't have counted. There was a whistle blown. You can you can listen back. there. It's, it's right there. The Raiders, you know, they fought each step of the way. They lose because oh, it is so frustrating because I want to credit um, Basachi and say that he did such a good job, which he did. The Raiders have been through so much bullshit this year, and, you know, half their team watched this game from jail anyway. But to not feed Josh Jacobs, like, it's so fitting based on just what I've said in the show recently or in the in the past weeks. It's so fitting that they end the season throwing 54 times. They only completed 29 of them. And I'll just give you his stats quick. 29 for Derek Carr, that is. 29 for 54, 310 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Coaching desperately failed two teams this year. The Indianapolis Colts and the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, the Vikings too, but anyway, they didn't deserve it. When you have a fucking star running back who's playing as good as they do, referring to Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor, feed them the fucking rock. I do not care. There is no excuse. Josh Jacobs finished with only 13 carries for 83 yards. Do the math. That is 6.4 yards a carry. Derek Carr averaged 10 yards of completion and threw it 54 times. And he only completed, he had 25 incompletions. That's terrible. Cut that number in half. The, the incompletions I'm talking about. You cut that down to 12, and you're looking at 41 passes, which still isn't great, but that's 13 more touches you could have given your star running back who is young, in his prime, fresh as hell, and we all know how good he is. But I don't know how the fuck you expect to win when you're letting Derek Carr throw over 40 times. He's not an elite quarterback. He's a good quarterback, but he's not elite. Your receiver group is not elite. Yeah, you have Frankenstein at tight end, but that doesn't, I, I just, I simply do not understand it. And I've been saying, if Jonathan Taylor and Josh Jacobs rush for under 20 times, they lose, period. Well, what the fuck do you know? Your season's over, Raiders, and you haven't won a playoff game since 2 You're dog shit losers, but hey, at least you made the playoffs, like I said, with half your team watching from prison. It is pretty impressive. Raiders finished 10 and 8. And I think they'll move on from Derek Carr this year and try to acquire one of these available star quarterbacks, an Aaron Rodgers type guy. That's a that's a name to maybe hang on to. Cincinnati will travel to Nashville, Tennessee to face the Titans 3:30 Central on CBS. Titans are three and a half point favorites. And we'll get into I'll do a more depth preview of the round two of the playoffs later in the show. Patriots proved me right, sadly. I wanted them to win, but they're way overrated. They, they, I, I mean, it just goes to show the lack of depth in the AFC as tight as the race was. It's pretty top heavy as far as uh, an actual threat. Um, those wildcard teams, I just didn't really, there, there wasn't any fight put out of either of them. I mean, we'll get to the Chiefs game later, but my goodness, Bill Belichick, 
I'm just going to say it. You're overrated. Because how in two million years coaching the Patriots have you acquired only one star receiver and a couple above average short white dudes named Wes Welker and Julian Edelman? Like, how is it that that's all you've... He's great at getting defense, but Patriots got slaughtered 47-17. So what does that tell you about Bill Belichick's great defense? 47 points. I don't know. I I truly think that he's he is a mastermind, obviously, but he's overrated. Come on. This dude got carried by Brady and he escaped never having real talent because he had a quarterback of Brady's caliber. The one year of talent, look at Brady's numbers. Please go look. I believe Randy Moss had 26 receiving touchdowns that year. That's fucking insane. But he doesn't get talent on that side of the ball. Yeah, a few good running backs here and there, a few good linemen, but every team is going to come across those at some point. This whole bullshit of he's a genius and trades out of the first round, I'm not buying it anymore. Because now that he doesn't have Brady, what has he done since Brady? Now, the franchise got Mac Jones, and he appears to have a bright future. That's great. In this game, he finished 24 for 38, 232 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions in his NFL playoffs debut. Now, He's acquired Mac Jones. Who who did he go and spend a bunch of money on? Matthew Judon was the only one that was really worth it. Hunter Henry overpaid. John o. Smith can't even get time on the field. What when is it time to point the finger at Bill Belichick? And then look at the receivers he's drafted. Kendrick Bourne was the guy you went and got in free agency. Are you shitting me? And then you drafted uh Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, like Drafted him very high, too. I, I just, I think that it's time to start pointing the finger at the head coach of the New England Patriots because they will do whatever he says to do. Okay, well, then let's evaluate the talent that you're putting out in the field. It's not very good. Sure, they have a few stars out there. Every team does. This is the NFL, for fuck's sakes. Anyway, enough Patriots talk. Your dog shit season over. You got embarrassed. Josh Allen went 21 for 35, 308 yards, five. Yes, Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Dominated that shitty-ass old defense who could do nothing right on that side of the ball. The Patriots end the season 10-8, and and Belichick should be fired. Hot take. (laughs) Is Dawson Knox a top-five tight end? Now, as, as far as talent goes, I don't think so. But they are a completely different offense when he plays. That dude, they have certain plays that are designed strictly for their tight end to be in space, and catch the football. When he was out this year, I believe that's when the Bills hit their slump. Their their offense couldn't do much of anything without him. I mean, they put up like three points against Jacksonville or some shit. And I, and again, I'm not going to go look because I don't really give that much of a fuck about the Bills, but I believe when the Bills' offense was at its worst this year, Dawson Knox was missing. In this game, he had five catches, 89 yards, two touchdowns, but it and it's not that he puts up insane numbers. That's not why I'm calling him a top five tight end. I'm calling him a top five tight end or just rather asking the question because of his importance to the team. And whenever he makes a catch, it always seems like it's a huge play. It, you know, it could be a big first down on third down converting. It could be a red zone. It could be a play action. It's just, he's, he's just a beast that is so essential to this team. In my opinion, he's one of the most overlooked players in the NFL as far as, like I said, just how important he is to to what they do and part of their scheme. 
The Bills had a great game plan against the Patriots and they executed it. And now they're traveling to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. Moving to Sunday's games, the Bucks throttled the Eagles. And I really don't have much to say about this one because the Eagles really didn't deserve to be there. They thrived off of a very easy schedule this year. Running back Jalen Hurts went 23 for 43. Yes, I said running back. 258 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and most of those numbers were acquired in garbage time because he is hot garbage. I really do hope the Eagles stick with him, though, because they can all fuck off. The whole city of Philly can go fuck itself. At least they were on the road for this playoff game, so their fans couldn't beat up 70-year-olds and brag about how tough they are, though. I mean, right? Instead, the players went and got the shit kicked out of them and never had a chance. Brady was, like, laughing on the field at how easy it was. He went 29 for 37, 271 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Mike Evans shat on their secondary, nine catches, 117 yards, and a tutty. It was just an efficient all-around game on both sides of the ball. They looked primed for another deep playoff run, except they don't if Tristan Wirfs in that offensive line can't get healthy because... They host the Rams Sunday, and we all know what that D-line is like. The Eagles' overachieving season comes to an end at 9-9, nine and nine, and no future with Hurts at quarterback, in my opinion. And Jalen trash-ass bust Rieger at wide receiver. That's, that's your future. Good job, Philly. You're doing good. And I fucking swear, real quick, the Vikings are interviewing not one, but two fucking people from Philly to be their GM. Fucking hire them. Please do it because that will show your our me as a fan. It will show your entire fan base that you don't actually give a fuck about winning. This has nothing to do with the fact that one of the lead candidates, yes, is a woman. I don't care. I don't care if it's a fucking dog. If it can evaluate talent, get the best value at the cheapest dollar and make the, the key trades that the team needs and build a winning team. I don't give a fuck who, what gender species i don't give a shit what it is but to sit here and and evaluate someone from philadelphia when they don't draft well at all they drafted fucking jalen rieger over justin jefferson who in the fuck like i just don't see it they get one super bowl year and that coach can't get a job i mean i'm sure he will this year doug peterson but like no, just no. Flatly no. They don't draft well. I'm not a fan of that. And I'm sorry to quick rant about the Vikes again because they're so irrelevant at this point. And now you're all sick of hearing about them. But I got to share my pain with you. If we fucking hire one of them, they're flatly showing us. And you Vikings fans listening to this, they're showing us they don't give a fuck about winning if they make a hire out of that fucking franchise, that front office. 49ers pulled the upset, if that's what you'd like to call it. I call the cow I I call it the Cowboys being the Cowboys. You can't trust them. Losing in the playoffs once again at home, 23 to 17. It took a late rally to not get completely blown out. It took a terrible interception. I'll get to it in a bit. Pitiful showing by this team though. It really was. Dak went just 23 for 43, 254 yards. A lot of that came in garbage time. One touchdown and one interception also got sacked 5 times. Zeke had 12 carries for 31 yards. He's washed in trash. CeeDee Lamb had one catch, overrated. Mike McCarthy allowed his supposedly genius offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, future head coach, another guy I don't want, to call a fucking draw play with no timeouts. In what, like 14 seconds to go? 
Then they didn't know the rule that the umpire has to set the ball or touch the ball. So they ran out of time on their final drive and boom, season over. But I mean, even if they get that snap off and spike the ball, what are the fucking odds they're scoring a touchdown right there? They're not very high. You're not going to do it on another fucking draw play. I understand the thinking, but like your team has to be like Madden rating 99 overall awareness for you to execute that properly. It's such a risky play call. Like I get it, but gal damn, you better hit on it because now you didn't. And now you look like a dumbass. But hey, at least they kept it classy in Dallas with fans throwing trash at the refs and even some of their own players on their way off the field. Now to call this game an upset is a stretch to me. The 49ers since getting healthy have been winning a lot and they play a super old school physical brand of football. They run the ball with so many different ways, with so many different players in so many different directions that when when their defense plays like they do, and they can pressure a quarterback with just a four-man rush. Like, and then you pair that with Kyle Shanahan, and you can win playoff games with a guy as bad as Jimmy Garoppolo. He was he is fucking terrible. Their one downfall is Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy gargles mayonnaise Garoppolo went 16 for 25, 172 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. If you showed me that stat line without showing me the score. Well, I guess if you showed me Dak's stats too, I'd say, okay. But you, I would have guessed that the 49ers lost by 14, 17 points. He single-handedly kept Dallas in the game, missing guys wide open. And then he overthrew Ayuk for that terrible interception to ignite the Cowboys late surge. It, it's just imagine what that team would be with a real quarterback. Like, I hate to say it, but like an Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be a free agent after this year. My goodness. And the the thing is, is Kittle was held to one catch. And I think for them to have a chance at Green Bay next week, they got to get him the ball more. And Jimmy can't turn the damn ball over. But man, oh man, what a display of coaching because you went into Dallas and you got it done. And like I said, folks, they're a above average quarterback away. Unless you consider him fine. If you consider Jimmy G a above average quarterback, fine. I'll give it to you because at least he's been a starter for years and he went to a Super Bowl, even though none of that is on him. Fine. Then you need a good quarterback or better for for me to like actually see how far this team can go. Because Jimmy G, I just I don't see them winning in Green Bay with him. Dallas finishes 12 and 6 overall and they still sucks. We done boys. Yeah, you're dumbasses. And don't you dare fire Mike McCarthy either. That man's a genius fucking idiot. Also, Kellen Moore, you're overrated. Dan Quinn is going to get a job somewhere as a head coach, and it better not be the fucking Vikings. I don't want either of those turds. The Chiefs end Rapenberger's career in a disrespectful manner, beating the shit out of him and the Steelers, 42-21. The creativity of the Chiefs' offense was literally just too much for Tomlin and the Steelers. McCole Harmon ran a play as quarterback. Travis Kelsey threw a touchdown pass. Fullback Michael Barton got just his ninth carry of the season. So they were putting everything on display. And the Steelers looked lost on the defensive side of the ball. And this was a defense that was playing amazing coming in. Mahomes goes 30 for 39, 404 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception early in the game off of a tip, drop, whatever. It was a great performance from a great quarterback, just what we'd expect. And honestly, Big Ben didn't play that bad at all. Things just didn't go their way. 
He finished 29 for 44, 215 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. What, to me, did it for the Steelers, because if you're going to beat the Chiefs or the Packers, you have to be able to run the football. Why? To keep the quarterback in that offense on the sideline. Najee Harris was bottled up. He had 12 carries for just 29 yards. And that was pretty, and, and he had the game ending fumble pretty much first of his career. And as I said, nothing was going right for Pittsburgh. Heads off to big rape on a great career. A dude who loved football more than most players. He played his heart out every single game. He gave us so many moments that we'll always remember the great throw in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals. And like one, one big one for me is last year. I mean, they lose that home playoff game to Cleveland and he knew that his center, his best friend was going to retire. And just that conversation they had on the bench where he's just apologizing. It just kind of shows you like just how much he genuinely cares about this game. And I can't imagine how hard it is for him to walk away. But when I watch him try and run, I am so thankful he's retiring because that dude's health is not going to be there when he's older, unless he gets the hell out of the league. Steelers finished the season nine, eight and one. They're one of the most exciting teams to watch in this offseason because they're literally an elite quarterback away from Super Bowl contention. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're right there. They have everything you need. So keep an eye on Pittsburgh. I think I mentioned it in what week nine or something that I think Aaron Rodgers is kind of low key, a, a dark horse to get that job. I mean, I, I think he would take it. I don't know why he wouldn't unless he doesn't want to play in cold games anymore. And the division, I guess, is pretty tough. But he would own that division if he went there for two years. As for the Chiefs, they will host the Buffalo Bills in a rematch, as I men mentioned earlier. The Bills waxed them at Arrowhead Stadium early in the season, 38-20. But this Chiefs team is much different than week five. Last but certainly not least, the Rams dominate the midget in the Arizona Cardinals as Matthew Stafford gets his first career playoff win and it only took him one year not being a Detroit Lion. And he played great. You're going to hear these stats and think, well, what the fuck? He didn't do much. He, everything was lined up for him. He just had to execute. And if you execute in small doses, who gives a shit what the numbers read? 13 for 17. Efficient. 202 yards. Divided by 13 is something. So he's getting a pretty decent amount of yards per completion. Two touchdowns. And here's the key stat. No turnovers. Everything looked easy. He looked like he was loose out there having fun. They ran the ball efficiently. Averaging almost four yards a carry as a team. They only allowed one sack. They were six for 13 on third downs, which isn't terrible. Three for four in the red zone. The defense held the Cardinals to 0 and 9 on third down and held Kyler Midget Murray to 19 for 34, 137 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions because he sucks when he's forced to stay in the pocket. For the Rams, it was just efficient, well executed football. And the complete opposite can be said for the Cardinals. As I said, 0 for 9 on third down. Two turnovers, only 61 rushing yards as a team. And the midget boy just couldn't do anything. And it legit looks like he can't see over the lineman, which is no fucking way he can in the pocket. Since I predicted the downfall in the second half of the season back in week eight, they are three and five, finishing 11 and seven overall. And again, they started eight and one. So make of that what you will. 
They're a first-half team. I told y'all it was coming. I hope you listened. I hope you didn't put money on them, for sure. Rams improved to 13-5, and five, and they will travel to Tampa Bay in a rematch from when they actually beat up on the Buccaneers weeks ago. But that's the recap. More in-depth preview of the divisional round coming up. Welcome back to the Fandom Podcast, streaming on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple. Make sure to follow my Instagram at fandom underscore pod, F-A-N-D-U-M-B underscore P-O-D. Also, the Snapchat at fandummies, that's F-A-N-D-U-M-M-I-E-S. Thanks again for all the support y'all have been giving me. It's a great joy, and it's honestly the highlight of my week. Again, I'm still trying to figure out how I can do this more often, get more guests, do more good shows for y'all. And for all of you that answered or that that participated in the $10 bracket challenge, the pot is 420. Pun intended. Three remaining perfect brackets. This week will narrow it down a lot to determine who the eventual winner will be. The first of many cool things I hope to do with you and all my fans out there. So let's preview this weekend's slate of games. First on Saturday is the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to Nashville to take on Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. It's at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. All the times that I say are always Central Time on CBS. Titans open up as just three-and-a-half-point favorites. And from every article that I've seen, we expect Derrick Henry to be back in action. To me, even if he's 80% against the, the Bengals, the Titans will win this game. Derrick will do his thing, but ultimately, ultimately this game is going to come down to quarterback play. You got the Titans with the league's second best run defense, allowing just 84 yards a game. And the Bengals run defense ranks fifth, allowing just 102 yards a game. So though Joe Mixon and Derrick Henry are absolutely stud running backs, it doesn't appear either side is going to budge that much when it comes to the run game. Now that being said, Tennessee ranks 25th and Cincinnati ranks 26th in pass yards per game defensively. So pass yards allowed. Meaning this game should come down to what quarterback is the most efficient and doesn't turn the ball over. Tannehill versus Burroughs, and typically I would say Burroughs, but I think experience, and when I say Tannehill versus Burroughs, I mean who's not going to turn it over. My mind tells me to say Burroughs, but I think that experience and coaching is going to win this one. And and I'll take the Titans 27-17. I think they, they flex a little bit on everyone reminding them why they are the one seed. I think Burroughs will have at least one interception. I think the dominate. I don't even know what the fuck I just said. I think the Titans dominate the ball, time of possession, that type of deal, and they keep the pressure on Joe Burroughs. And if and the most underrated thing about Tennessee is their ability to rush the quarterback without blitzing. They can do that very well. Here's here's why it's shocking. I can't name a single fucking player on that D line. I. For some reason, and this is old as hell, and I know he's retired, don't fucking correct me, but Brian Arakpo is like the last D-lineman that I can remember being a Tennessee Titan, and he was dog shit when he played for them. If the defense just keeps everything in front, stops the run like they do, 
make the rookie make a mistake on the road. I, I truly think that, you know, a lot of people are taking Cincinnati in this game and they're just kind of riding the hot wave. That is Joe Burrows. That is Jamar Chase. Uh, Ozuma's become a, a pretty good threat. Everyone's just riding who they want to win. And I think that no one trusts Tannehill. But I actually do trust him right now. And, and the reason why is they're healthy. Like I said, the, he put the team on his back in their last game to clinch the one seed. Ryan Tannehill, and I know that Cincinnati's a lot better than Houston, but I don't know that they're a lot better against the past than Houston. Like I said, they ranked 26 in the NFL, but he just showed you he can, he went on the road, put the team on his back and won a game that they needed to win. He's at home. He's got his star running back back. He's got his receivers, Julio and AJ Brown on the outside. I, I don't see a reason to really doubt Tannehill here. I, I think, like I said, I think the Titans win. Second game takes place in the frozen tundra of Green Bay, Wisconsin at 7.15 on Fox. Packers play host to the dangerous, dangerous 49ers. Packers open up as a six-point favorite, and I think that's kind of being nice to the 49ers. I want them to win, but Jimmy G is just bad, and I believe he turns the ball over a couple times in this game, and when you turn the ball over to Aaron Rodgers, good fucking luck. Packers are getting their stud left tackle back as far as I have seen. David Bakhtiari, I know he got some snaps in their last game of the year. Zadaria Smith could play. Also, Jair Alexander is back in action. And the Packers just have too many weapons and playmakers. And 49ers are coming in banged up from a super physical game in Dallas. In which Joey Bosa got hurt. And that was a head injury, so you just never really know with those. And also, who the fuck was the other guy who got hurt? Of course, I'm going to brain fart. Uh, Warner, Fred Warner. There we go. So they, they're going to need those guys healthy to, to have a chance. I'll take the Packers uh, 34-13, honestly. The 49ers' only chance is that they run the ball efficiently and they score sixes instead of threes and keep Rodgers on the sideline. It sounds easy, and it, I made it sound like it's something that they could easily do, but I actually don't believe they can. Rodgers is just too damn good. I, I, don't, I know that San Francisco schematically has a good defense, but the Packers are going to find ways to get their guys out in space one-on-one. And that's when I think the talent is heavily in Green Bay's favor, especially when you got Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball because he can put that motherfucker wherever the hell he wants. And if San Francisco can continue to rush the quarterback with just four guys like they did to Dak, I mean, like I said, they had five sacks and they were in his face chasing him out of the pocket. Then, of course, yeah, they have a shot. But like I said, I think Aaron Rodgers is an MVP caliber quarterback and Jimmy is slightly above average. That's the main difference. Two young, good head coaches going head-to-head. Historic franchise history between the clubs. Freezing weather with a chance of snow on Saturday. Yeah, this is all the makings of being a good old-fashioned ass-whooping by Green Bay. And I'll stick to my word. Despite, I've I've tried to talk myself out of it numerous times. I, I just believe that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers roll. The Ravens will travel. Ravens, yeah, okay, my bad. Yeah, we all know they're irrelevant because they're fucking running back that lines up at quarterback is hurt and he sucks. The Rams will travel to Tampa Bay to take on Brady and them boys. 2 p.m. on Sunday aired on NBC, and I cannot fucking wait. Stafford versus Brady, Arians versus McVay, Cooper Cup versus Antonio. Bra- oh, wait, Mike Evans, my bad. I forgot that clown show is a free agent. 
The Rams are traveling a long ways to see if Stafford is their guy. This is the game you went all in on a quarterback for. Not a win versus the midget, not just making the playoffs, no. To beat two guys, Tom Addison Brady, Aaron Badass Rodgers. This game has so much star power. I mean, for this to be a divisional game almost feels not right. Like, this feels like this should be damn near the Super Bowl. At least the NFC Championship. I expect big plays on both sides of the ball all game long from each team. The Rams were able to establish the run early against the Cardinals, and that opened everything up for their offense and made it easy for Stafford. But this defense is different. It's third and league at just 92 yards a game against the run. And they're healthy. When they were at full strength, teams are struggling to get 70 yards rushing on them. Now they're back to being healthy. And it certainly didn't look like they were going to budge against Philly. So I think Stafford is going to have to actually win the Rams this game. I believe Tampa's defense is 20th in the in the league for yards allowed per game. So it's a great game for him to flex and show everyone why he's an elite quarterback, why the Rams gave up those picks to go get him. The Rams are very similar on defense. They're six against the Russian 21st, I believe, in the past um, yardage allowed per game. So this is why I say I expect fireworks and big plays because each secondary, they're, they, they have their studs. I mean, you got Jalen Ramsey, but most teams stay away from him. And then uh, I can't even remember that one fuck from Tampa has been a good cover guy all year. I think that each quarterback throws for over 250 yards, two touchdowns. And here's the kerfuffle. Which quarterback will turn the ball over and when? Both teams can easily overcome an early turnover, but in that second half, who's going to make the clutch throws or who's going to make the big mistake? I, I have some concerns for the Buccaneers. Brady's missing his two main receivers. Why is that huge? Mike Evans is mainly a deep threat. Well, why is that a concern? Tom Brady has a banged up offensive line and the Rams have arguably the most dominant defensive line in all of the NFL. He isn't going to have time for deep balls, in my opinion. And that favors the Rams because he's missing his short, quick cut receivers and Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. It's a very interesting matchup because their other guy is Scotty, whatever the hell he is, the little short white dude, another short white dude that Brady found at the local Walmart and brought him to the field and threw him some passes. He's also a deep threat, though. He's not a quick, short route guy. As for Stafford, Whitworth is banged up. But other than that, it's a very healthy offense. I know you're still missing Robert Woods, but OBJ appears to be back to his elite self. Whatever team... Whatever team creates the most pressure with four is going to win this game. I think it, it, it's, man, and both teams can do it so well. This is such a good game, such a good matchup. I'm going to give the edge to the Buccaneers just because Brady's the GOAT, and every time I've ever doubted him, he's won. And in New England, when he had no talent at wide receiver and a bad offensive line, what did he do? Dink and dunked his way right to the Super Bowl almost every year. Everyone called him, oh, he's only good at six-yard passes. Okay, well, you go have the fucking local YMCA kids running routes from you in an NFL field and tell me you should be taking time down the field. And no, fuck no. He found holes. He read plays. He took what the defense gave him because it's what he had to do. So having that in his past, if it comes down to dink and dunk, scrape for yards and eventually set up a deep ball to Gronk or something, I got Brady in the Bucks 
Now, if the Rams can take away Gronk and create that four-man pressure, I think the Rams actually kind of dominate again. 34-21. But there's just so much up in the air. My gut tells me Brady. My heart tells me Stafford. It's it's just gonna it's gonna be a great game. I cannot wait to just enjoy it and watch. Last and least, and yes, I cannot stand Josh Allen, so I say least purposefully. The Bills traveled to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs at 5.30 on CBS. Mahomes and that defense playing this well, I just simply cannot imagine a scenario, barring major injury or injuries, that they lose this game. I do think the Bills keep it close for a while, but then late, I believe the Chiefs will pull away. I think it'll finish around 38-35-20. I think Josh Allen will throw a couple interceptions in this one and ultimately cost his team the game. Why? Because it's what he's done in almost every single one of their losses since becoming their quarterback. Decision-making and accuracy are not his strong suits, and that never bodes well in the playoffs. It usually doesn't bode well in the regular season, but when you have a defense and weapons like he has, you're going to win football games. But we've seen him time and time again this year be terrible, picking up most of his yardage and touchdowns very late in ballgames, which I guess you could call that clutch play, but fuck that. I call it garbage time and kind of a deal where eventually your talent's going to win for you. Like when you have a digs, you just got to put it in the whatever. I think in order for him to succeed, that that Buffalo is going to have to run the ball effectively, creating secondary plays with his legs and making magic happen. Josh Allen's best plays are always when the when the initial play breaks down and he turns into playmaker Josh Allen. It's when he scrambles. He's very hard to tackle because he's so damn big, strong, and athletic. And then if you don't bring him down and he's still behind that line, he's got the arm strength to sling that bitch anywhere he wants. Like I said, when things break down, he has to be a playmaker for the Bills to have a chance. When things break down, that's when we see Mahomes at his best, right? He elevates his receivers. He throws them open. He slings them across his body throws. He steps up when he needs to. When you look at just skill, Josh Allen is right there with just with Mahomes. Arm strength, athleticism. He's a, a better runner than Mahomes. Stronger. But his decision-making and accuracy have to be in check. And like I keep saying, he has to create secondary plays and, and convert third downs and just simply make plays when things don't go your way. He has to turn that game around himself. And I seriously think he's capable of it. It just almost seems like when they rely on him very heavily, he shies away or he fades or he stands in the pocket and he's not a great quarterback from the pocket. That's not his strength. Now, the Bills defense is very good, but when you're playing a quarterback like Mahomes and going against Andy Reid in this group, you have to have a bend-don't-break mentality, in my opinion. Because eventually they're going to get their yards and their big plays. So limit them. Force threes instead of sixes. Keep them out of the end zone when they're in the red zone. Turn them over. I That's the things you're going to have to do when you're going into Kansas City trying to win a game. The Chiefs, I just think you just keep doing what you're doing. Utilize that power run game. Utilize Kelsey and play action. Your speed guys like Tyree Kill, Nicole Hardman on drag routes and deep crosses. Defense, keep Josh Allen in the pocket and let him make mistakes on his own. That's what he does best. I think the Chiefs roll and pull away in the second half, as I said, with like a 38-35-20. I cannot wait for these games to start, and I know y'all can't either. Again, make sure to 
follow the Instagram and Snapchat so that we can do some more questions, some polls, shit like that. UFC coverage is coming soon as well with Taylor Hauser. Going to bring him back on. We're going to preview this weekend's stacked card. Enjoy the games. Stay safe and go fuck yourselves, fan dummies. Everybody love everybody!